Well, I want to start with the question of identity. Who am I? And what am I about? Uh, what purpose do I have? What am I doing here on earth? It seems a fairly philosophical question, doesn't it? A question that most people probably never even bother to ask. But I suspect that over the last uh, eight to ten months, during COVID and during a whole range of changes to life, people not being able to go to school, not being able to go to work, having to stay in their homes, to quarantine, to not be able to catch up with loved ones, not be able to travel overseas, be stopped at the borders of various states, and just basically live life in disruption and for some people in fear, it does raise questions for us about what this life is all about. And I've had a number of conversations with people over the last year or so who paused to consider the big questions of life and meaning. And I thank God really for the way that he has troubled people that's caused us to sit back and to think, who am I and what am I here for? And if that's not a question that you've ever come to ask, let me encourage you to ask that question today. Now, some might say it's the midlife crisis, uh, midlife crisis question. Who am I and what am I here for? And uh, if you've lived half your life and you think, I'm not quite sure who I am or what I've lived for, and I know the second half of life is going to go way faster than the first half, you may be left with a crisis. And of course, that uh, leads people then to do all sorts of crazy things, uh, to go out and to try and reinvent themselves. But I want to ask the question, do we have to invent ourselves in the first place? Do we have to make ourselves into somebody? Uh, is it something that comes about through our upbringing, through our parents, through our nationality, our race, our culture? Does it come about through our experiences, where we live, the things that we like to do? And certainly there are things that shape our identity, aren't they? Uh, my family of origin has contributed to who I am, where I've come from, the things I believe, the influences in my life. You've contributed to the lives of others in your family, in your experience, and you are affected by them. And when you move to a place like uh, the Mid-North Coast, you discover there's a whole range of things that shape people's identity. I live in Bonnie Hills, been here for three years, and a whole heap of Bonnie Hills seems to revolve around the surf club. And if you're in the surf club, then that's a part of who you are, and you know other people that are in the surf club. And I felt like I'm a person without an identity because I'm not in the surf club. And maybe you too, and we could hang out and we could call ourselves the not in the surf club club um, to get ourselves some identity. There are things that we do, aren't there, that, that kind of end up being really significant in who we are. Sometimes it's our work, it's our study. We're invested in, in trying to understand something and to try and make a difference and to leave a legacy in people's lives. Sometimes it's through our education and research and seeking to understand and grapple with the big issues uh, that we're focused upon. It might be that our identity is tied up with relationship. Entering into marriage is a big thing. Having children, you might say, is an even bigger thing. Having grandchildren is just a fun thing. But they all influence who we are and how we see ourselves. Well, we're going to look at Psalm 8 today. And it's a psalm that talks about our identity. And I just want to look at it as we've been doing over the last few weeks, fairly quickly, and then to dig back into it and to pull out some things for us today. So what do we notice first of all? Well, we notice that it's a psalm to be sung. It's for the director of music. 
as to be sung in a certain way, that is according to the Giddith, which was an ancient electric guitar. No, I don't know what that was. Um, and it's a psalm of David. That is, it comes from David, who was the king of Israel, who was God's anointed. And if you look at the psalm carefully, the first verse and the last verse are the same. So there are brackets around what is important. And notice here that the brackets are the praise of the Lord. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's how he starts. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's where he finishes. So whatever is going on in this psalm is intended to be seen in the light of the praise to the glory of God. A recognition that God is the sovereign king of this universe and deserves to be honoured as such. And so within these brackets of the praise of God, what do we see? We'll look at verses 1 through to 4. It says, You have set, and this is God, your glory in the heavens or above the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Um, the psalmist here addresses the big cosmic question of God, the universe and everything. He looks at the stars, he looks at the heavens. Maybe on a, on a moonless night, uh, no clouds but no moon, you look up and you can see the Milky Way. It's extraordinary, isn't it? If you've ever been out bush and it's a very clear night and you look up, uh, it's just absolutely dazzling. And if you were able to lie still and just focus, you'd probably be counting um, into the tens if not hundreds of thousands of stars that you could see with the naked eye before you lose track and have to start again. Um, it's just absolutely phenomenal what we can see. And that's just our galaxy. And astronomers tell us that our galaxy is probably just one galaxy in well over 100 billion galaxies. So let's get some scale going on here, right? We've got the mass of the universe, which is bigger than we could ever imagine. I've seen some photographs from the Hubble telescope, which zooms in far further and far closer to images in the heavenly realm than I've ever seen with the naked eye. But even that is just a speck in the whole scheme of the universe. In that universe, God has created this little minuscule solar system with a planet that revolves around our sun that's able to give and support life. And in the midst of all the life on our planet, what is humanity? that you care for him. What is man? What is mankind? What is human being? Why does God focus on people? Who are we in this whole massive scheme of things? I think that's a pretty profound question, but you know what's as profound as that question? The fact that we can even ask it. I, I did watch my octopus teacher the other night. Um, some of you are nodding and the smiles on your face is an extraordinary Netflix documentary. A guy goes diving in the uh, kelp forest in South Africa, same spot for a year on end, and makes friends with an octopus. Um, it's mind-blowing. 
And I understand that octopuses are amongst the most brilliant of creatures. But I don't think that they sit down and contemplate their existence in the heart of the universe. We do. And who are we? Well, look at what God has to say. Read on, verse 5. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and all that swim the paths of the seas. See, God's purpose for humanity here is in relationship to every other creature that he has made. God has given humankind a special role to look after the world that he has made, to actually rule over it. And, and when you see that, what we are seeing is God's plan in the creation being worked out here and now. Now that's an introduction. We've got bracketed the praise of God. We've got a focus on the cosmos and yet the, the role of people within it. And then we've got the role that God has given to people to look after and to rule over the world that God has made. What do we do with that? How are we to read it now? Well, let me take you a, a few different places. First of all, to remind us that this is by David, God's anointed. It's by David. It's for God's people. And it's for the purpose of glorifying God. Now, you can get that just by reading the introduction and the beginning and the end. It's God's anointed to us so that we might give the glory to God. But let's dig a little bit deeper because what we see here bears close connection to Genesis chapter 1. I want to read to you from the first chapter of the Bible because what we have in Psalm 8 is really a commentary on the creation. You'll recognise some of this language. In verse 26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. It's just what we see, isn't it, in the second half of Psalm 8. But look carefully. 27, So God created man or mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, David isn't just wandering around on a starry night, wondering about the purpose of existence. I take it that David is reflecting on who God has made people to be. And the, the creation of people right back at the very beginning was unique. God created everything day by day by day with order and design. And on day six, there's a break from the pattern. And God says, let us make man in our image with a purpose. They're going to rule over the created order. They're going to be in our image. They're going to be male and female in our likeness. And, and what we see as we look at Genesis 1 is being referred to here in Psalm 8. It's a commentary on the creation. 
And so what we discover when we look at this is that God's plan, if you like, his purpose for us as human beings is that we might watch over and rule our world. Now let me just um, pause on this for a minute because some have criticised Christians and this view of being made in the image of God for an understanding that has led to the abuse and destruction of our world. The ecological crisis, pollution, the climate crisis, all sorts of things that have gone wrong with our world. People will say, well, it's because mankind believe that they're super special and they rule over everything else. But the problem is not ruling over everything else, it's abusing everything else. It's not that we have an authority from God that's the problem. It's that we try and rule the world without God to do with it as we please for our own interests. In other words, we get rid of verse 1 and we get rid of verse 9. We we get rid of the praise of God. We, We do things with disregard for God's glory and it's all about my glory. And we're limited and we're short-sighted. And and of course, we're learning the lesson of it now. You can't just use and abuse the creation forever and ever. It's just not going to stand up to it. And so it would be right to see that we have a, a kind of mandate under God to care for the things that God's entrusted to us. To look after our world, to look after our environment, to take care of other species. And there's a whole realm of thinking that goes into all of this. But it doesn't exhaust God's purpose for us here. See, God's plan and his purpose isn't just that we will rule over the creation, but that we will display his image. What does it mean to be in the image of God and to display his image? I want to come back to that. But I want to get into this by looking at the problem with our world And that is, if we say that humanity is to take care of and to rule over this world, then we've got a problem, haven't we? Because we're not doing it. And if ever there's been a year that shows that we're not in control of our world, it's 2020. Where do we start the year in Australia? With famines and fires. With catastrophic fires that brought in the use of the word unprecedented. And then we've got this virus that was even more unprecedented. And time after time after time, we've seen things around our world, we've seen things in our own backyard that just seem to make an absolute lie of humanity being in control of our world. We're just not. And we never have been. And despite all the advantages and advances of science, we never will be. Why? Because there's that problem of wanting to be man without God, woman without God. And you push God to the side and you try and rule in this world that he has made and you fail. In fact, the Bible is very honest about this. And I want to take you to Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter 2. See, the, the problem deep down is that we don't live in the Genesis 1 world. We live in the Genesis 3 world. And and we've turned our back upon God and we've chosen to do things our own way. And now we're just living in a world which is pretty seriously in distress. It's a catastrophic mess on every front because we can't control ourselves, let alone our world. Listen to the way Hebrews reflects on Psalm 8. We'll go to Hebrews chapter 2 
And I'm going to read from verse 5. It is not to angels that God has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. Now that's encouraging, isn't it? Because there's an author of scripture who says, Now I know that there's a verse somewhere that says... Um, not quite sure exactly where it was. Well, whoever wrote Hebrews, and we don't know, it was Psalm 8. It was David. He wrote this. But look at the commentary then. In verse 8, in putting everything under them, that is under humanity, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. That's the most honest of verses, isn't it? God's subjected everything to humanity. But when you look around, you don't see everything subject to humanity. In other words, there's a crisis. And what does he make of that? Verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now, friends, I want you to kind of work with the logic with me on this. What what Psalm 8 is saying is that God has created people in his image to rule over the world, but we don't see them ruling over the world. But if you've got eyes to see, you do see Jesus ruling over the world. How so? Well, because he tasted death for everyone. He became a human being. He lived in our world as a man he came among us as God's image to show us what God was like and he did that to the point of his death and now he's been raised from the dead and he rules everything and that is the current reality now I want to take you to a couple of other verses on this because I'm going via Jesus to help us to see where we fit in this psalm Um, Thinking about what it is to be in the image of God. Let me read to you. I'm in Hebrews, so I'll read the Hebrews reference first. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The Son, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So who is Jesus? The radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being. In other words, the perfect image of God. Uh, or if uh, you turn with me back to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. And for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's talking about Jesus. But the first statement there is the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. See, if you want to know who the true image of God is, if you want to know what the image of God is intended to look like, look to Jesus. That's where you should look. Now come back to the psalm, right, on your pamphlet. Just 
I, I printed this out directly from the New International Version. And down the bottom of the page, there's a footnote to verse 4. And I want to suggest to you that the footnote is more helpful to us and more accurate than the translation that they put in the body of the text. And some of your versions, if you've got different versions of the NIV, will, will have that difference. L listen to this. I'm going to read from verse 1. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You've established a stronghold among your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is a human being that you are mindful of him, a son of man that you care for him? Notice that language there? A son of man that you care for him. What does that remind you of? Jesus. Last, last year we, we spent half the year in Mark's Gospel what is the title Jesus uses to refer to himself? The Son of Man. Here is the Son of Man. Yes, it's a way of speaking about a human being, one who is born of humans, a son of man. But here we discover what true humanity really is. See, fundamentally, if you want to know what humanity is all about, if you want to understand who you are and what you are here for, you need to see Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfect image of God. One more thing. And the logic kind of lands in this one more thing. Come back to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that verse. It's a, it's a great verse. Doesn't matter what's going on in this world, COVID, warfare, famines, fires, you name it. God is at work in all things according to his good purposes. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, let me take you through that logic. All the pain, all the suffering, all the disasters, all the troubles in our world. God is working for the good of those who love him. And what is their good? To conform them to the image of his son. To make them more like Jesus. You see, if you want to understand what you're here for and who you are and what you're all about, God says it's that you might become more and more and more and more and more and more human. Truly human. Truly my image bearer. That you might become more and more and more and more like Jesus. Because he is the perfect image bearer. He is the absolute radiance of God's glory. He is the perfect representation of his being. God is at work, Christians, to make us more like Jesus. That's what he's doing. And he's doing that through all the troubles and difficulties, all of the strife and all of the confusion. As we turn to God, God is at work in making us more like his son. See, when you think about that, you don't have to identify with anybody or anything. You don't have to create an identity for yourself. You don't have to work out what you want to be and what your life is all about. You can turn to God and find out. Because you have been made. You know the thing about being made? It means you've been manufactured. And if you've been manufactured, then you've been made for a purpose. And the purpose for which God made each and every one of us 
is to display his likeness. Think about that. That's extraordinary um, purpose to have, isn't it? It's, it's a pretty high-flying job description. God wants to show other people what he's like by looking at you. That's what it is to be truly human. To have people look at us and see what God is like. And I think, oh no, please, God, they can do better than me. I mean, anybody here, please, not me. But God is in the business of making me and you more like Jesus. And so as people look to me to find out what God is like, I, I want a short circuit. I, I want to go straight from me to Jesus. I want to say, okay, look, I can show you a bit about what God's like, but, but look to Jesus because he's the perfect image of God. I'm created in God's image as are you and he's refashioning and he's reshaping me and he's conforming me to the likeness of Jesus. But friends, he's got a long way to go. But look to Jesus. See, that's why we're here. That's why you live next door to the people that you live next door to. Did you think about that? Because if they want to know about God, they can look to you because you are in his image. And you are being conformed more and more into the image of his son, Jesus. And as we look around at people who are struggling to know what on earth this world is getting, uh, is, is coming to, what their life is all about, then we have a message of hope. And that is a message that if they will come to God through Jesus, then they will come to understand who they are and, and why they're here. See, we don't have to invent ourselves by joining a club by having a midlife crisis and buying a Harley. Oh, or, uh, <laughs> we don't have to go through the things of this world to try and turn ourselves into something. Because in God we are something. We've been made in His image. Made for a purpose. And if you haven't discovered that purpose yet, can I encourage you to look into this, this Bible, this message which focuses upon Jesus, because the more you get to know Jesus, the more you'll come to discover who God has made you to be. And if Jesus doesn't get much time at the moment, then you've got no chance of working out who you really are. It'd be a little bit like an iron. You know those things that you use with clothes? It's sitting there and it's on a board. And it's trying to work out what it is for, where it belongs. And it goes downstairs and it sees something else called an iron. There's a, it's, it's a stick with a thing on the end of it. There's a few of them. They've got different numbers. And it sees people getting that and, and picking it up and going like this. A nine iron. A sand iron. But that's not its purpose. It was made to iron clothes. See, so long as we try and invent our own purpose we won't understand anything. And we'll live a life of futility and frustration. And I want to say to you, the best life is to know who you are in God through Jesus Christ and to allow God to change you and transform you so that you become more and more like him. And as you do, that will be to the praise of God's glorious name. 
How about we pray that God will be at work in us to make us more like Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will take us and, and reshape us, chip away the stuff that's not good, and rebuild us in the image of Jesus. Help us to discover more and more about your Son, to, to get into the Scriptures, to, 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 to delight in, in you, to delight in your Son, to delight in your Spirit, to learn more and more about you and to live for you day by day. May we trust you in everything and may we be willing to make changes when we don't fit with your purposes. Please forgive us for trying to make ourselves into something or someone without you. And we ask that you will be transforming us day by day to be more like Jesus. To your glory we pray. Amen.